You know, it's amazing as we watch our kids grow up and as we watch them become adults. Sometimes as we look at our kids, we're kind of amazed at how they do life. You know, uh, in spite of us, they, they turned out okay. And we see them making wise decisions and good choices. And, and as we see them do those things, the, our chest begins to swell. The buttons kind of get tight. And we look for people to share it with, don't we? We, we have to share and, and tell others about what our kids are doing. Uh, sometimes as we see our kids, there are other things that they do that we just have to shake our head about and just kind of wonder, you know, how did I miss instructing them in, in that area of life? How did I not see that sooner? And, and sometimes we, as parents, want to take advantage of that and speak into their lives, but yet we know as parents, we've kind of got to step back a little bit because they are adults and we've kind of have to let them make their decisions. And it's a great thing sometimes when we look at our kids and we see them and we know they're going through a tough time as adults. And it's exciting when they inquire and they seek our advice. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes they come to us and they say, hey, here's where we are. How would you handle that? And it's exciting sometimes as a parent to be able to speak into that and to be able to share some of the wisdom that we gained, not because we're so perfect, because we made the same mistake and we can help them in that journey that they're going through. I was thinking about that as I began reading 2 Thessalonians and preparing for our time together this morning. This morning we are continuing our journey through Thessalonians. We completed our journey through 1 Thessalonians in mid-January, and we took a little bit of a journey, a little sidetrack, and we looked at God's marriage blueprint. And now we're coming back to our study, back to our journey through Thessalonians. And we want to begin this morning looking at 2 Thessalonians. On Paul's second missionary journey, the church of Thessalonica was planted, and Paul was there for a short time, and because of the persecution, he was forced to flee. He had instructed them and taught them a number of things, and then he sent Timothy, he was worried about them, and he sent Timothy back to get a report. And Timothy went back to Thessalonica and brought back a report that was good. And Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and mailed it to him and said, hey, I'm proud of the way things are going. There's a couple of things that you're struggling with. Here's some clarity on a couple of those things. And we saw that as we moved through that first epistle to the church of Thessalonica. Sometime after that letter was received, the church of Thessalonica sent a response back to Paul. And Paul immediately, or pretty soon after, responded with this second letter. And there's some things that he's going to talk to them about in this second letter. He's going to clarify a few things. He's going to speak to them about the persecution that's going on. He's going to share with them a little bit more about the return of Christ and some clarify a few things there. And then as we get to the end of this letter, we see some people within Thessalonica that were refusing to work. And so Paul speaks to them and says, hey, if they don't work, they don't eat. That's just the way it is. And so he speaks to that. But I was thinking about that whole thought of our kids, because the church of Thessalonica is basically Paul's kid. And as we look at the different churches, they're doing pretty well as his kid. And so he's got a few things that he sees that he's concerned about, took an opportunity to speak into that. They respond and he speaks into it again. And so 
That's what we want to look at and begin our study through in 2 Thessalonians. Now, as we begin this morning, we want to look at just the introduction to the second letter to the Thessalonians. And so we're just going to look at 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 4 this morning. And as we look at these four verses, there are two headings that we're going to use that are going to kind of lead us through this passage. The first thing we see is a word of greeting in those first two verses. It's just Paul's greeting to them. And then in verses 3 through 4, we see a word of thanksgiving that, that Paul shares as he looks at the church of Thessalonica. Things that make those buttons will pop a little bit as he thinks about where they are as a church. And so things that make him excited. So let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll give you an opportunity to look to it. Hopefully your Bible falls open to 1 Thessalonians. And then if you just turn over a couple of pages to the right, you'll find 2 Thessalonians. It's pretty amazing how in most Bibles, 1 Thessalonians is followed by 2 Thessalonians. It's amazing how they come up with this stuff. But they did. So find verse 1 there in 2 Thessalonians. And I'll let you stand with me, and I'll read this aloud, and you can follow along with me in your copy of the Scriptures. I'm using the English Standard Version, and it says this, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Father, we're grateful for this morning, grateful for this opportunity to look into your word. And I pray this morning as we look into your word, that your word would look into us, open our minds and open our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave here this morning, we'll be able to say that we've heard from you, that we didn't hear the words of some man, but we in fact heard from you. So take my mind and my heart and my tongue and my lips and, and Lord, help me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less either. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. want to look at is this word of greeting that we have here that Paul shares with us. Uh, this greeting begins, and this greeting is very similar to the way that Paul began his greeting to in 1 Thessalonians, to the church of Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians. This is 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1, and I'll let you just compare the two. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God is similar to verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians, but it also carries us a little ways into verse 2 here in this passage. And so we see that talking and we see that going on. And back in May, when we started 1 Thessalonians, we talked about this greeting. And I thought, boy, this would be a great time just to kind of move on past this greeting. But I know of at least three of you who have slept since May 1st. And so I just want to kind of refresh your mind. 
Now notice in verse 1 as it begins here in 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Paul is writing this and, and Paul begins this epistle and he informs everybody who it is from. I, I read this and I think sometimes how odd this is, but when I receive to see who it's from, especially if they want money. Often start this way. They identify who the letter is from first, and, and Paul's epistles uh, especially identify this. Now, as we move through this letter, we are going to see a number of times where it's the word us or we is used in reference here. And so Paul is using that to speak about this ministry team that's there. But this, just like 1 Thessalonians, was penned by the Apostle Paul. sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So as he's signing off this letter, he lets it be known that this letter is from him. He identifies himself and his ministry team at the beginning, but he lets them know at the end. So as we look at this, we see that this is from Paul. Now, obviously, we say that we know the Holy Spirit led Paul and shared with Paul and carried Paul along. It wasn't his pencil that did it. It was Paul that did this. It was God using Paul and leading Paul to do that. I often think about it when we send letters out. We don't give credit to our computer. We don't give credit to our pencils. Uh, we are the ones who penned that letter. And the same is here with the Holy Spirit. He used Paul to record it, but we know this is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul does not identify himself here as an apostle. When we read the book of Galatians, he identifies himself as an apostle. The church of Thessalonica did not question his apostolic authority. They recognized Paul as an apostle, and they didn't question that. In Galatians, they were questioning his authority. And so he said, I, Paul, is an apostle. But here with the church of Thessalonica, they didn't question his uh, apostolic authority. So we don't see that here. Uh, there hasn't really been any debate in regards to questioning that, that Paul is, the, in fact, the author of Thessalonians. There's a number of books that there is debate, but this is one of those that there's not debate in because Paul identifies himself here at the end. Now, we notice the second member of the team is Silvanus. If you have an NIV on your lap, yours says Silas. And Silas is the, is the Greek, his Greek name or the Greek rendering of, of his name. And as we look at Silas, he was Paul's ministry partner. He was very involved in Paul's second missionary trip. We saw Paul make his first missionary trip in the book of Acts, and he and Barnabas are partners. He and Barnabas had a falling out, and then we see Paul and Silas picking up and going on the second missionary journey together. Uh, like Paul, Silas was a Jew, but Silas, like Paul, also had Roman citizenship. And so that Roman citizenship was a great thing for them as they traveled through the Roman Empire sharing the gospel of Christ, even though they were Jews as Roman citizens. That gave them some opportunities, some unique opportunities, and even gave them protection. Uh, we see Silas as being a part of the early church leadership 
in Acts chapter 15. And so we see him involved there. Uh, he was one of the leading men there in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul, or Paul and Silas were both in prison together in Philippi. So there was a lot of ministry that they shared together during that second missionary journey. Some suggest that Silas and Paul were pretty close in age, that they were similar in age as they went out together. When Paul leaves Corinth, and he's writing this book from Corinth right now, but when he leaves Corinth, we don't see Paul and Silas together after this. So this is kind of the last shindig, the last go-round for, for this ministry team as is. Uh, after this, it's, we don't see Silas and Paul together. Now, the next one that's mentioned there is Timothy. And we know Timothy is the young man of the group. Uh, also a ministry of Paul's. Uh, he was a son in the faith to, Tim, to Paul. Uh, Paul led him or was involved in leading him to Christ. He obviously is the youngest one in the group. Uh, he joined Paul and Silas during that second missionary journey. When they came to Lystra, that is when it's believed that Timothy may have come to know Christ, but it was then that Timothy joined up with Paul uh, and Silas. And Timothy would become an invaluable part of Paul's ministry. We see Paul send Timothy back to Thessalonica after they flee. He sends Timothy back and Timothy ministers there. We also see Paul sending Timothy other places also. Timothy would later become the pastor uh, of the church in Ephesus. So he was kind of being groomed, if you would say, uh, to take over for Paul. And he will, really was an invaluable part of Paul's ministry. And he would be the one that would take over the mantle from Paul. So that's the ministry team that we see mentioned here. And I know we talked about that in May, but just a refresher for you. Now, as we think about this letter being written, this letter is being written to the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, and as we saw earlier, uh, this is the same beginning as 1 Thessalonians. Uh, some suggest that 1 Thessalonians uh, was written in the spring of 51 AD. And then 2 Thessalonians was written in the fall, just a few months later. But both of them are, are written and, and recognized as being written in 51 AD. So there's just a few months uh, between the writing of both of those. Now, the church at the, the city of Thessalonica was an interesting uh, city. It was a trade route. And so they had sailors coming in, they had travelers coming in, and, and people coming in to trade. And so it was a, a population that was always had, had people coming in. They have found uh, that it was kind of a high crime rate there in Thessalonica. It was really a rough place to live, uh, to be a part of, just because of the, the transient people that were coming in and out of there. And so that's kind of the background of of the city of Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas went there and the church was planted and he was just there for a little while before he was forced to flee. Uh, he went to Corinth and from Corinth he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. He was just in Thessalonica for a short period of time and he was in Corinth for about 18 months. So when he received the letter, uh, he, when he received a report from Timothy, he sent the first letter uh, and then received a report and sent the second letter. And all of that was from Corinth. And Paul is writing this as he's writing this to the people of Thessalonica. He is writing this to believers. 
He's writing it to this called out group to the church of Thessalonica. Look at verse 1 there. He says to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this verse, we see the subtle difference that's here and in 1 Thessalonians 1. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he said to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what he says here to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just a subtle difference. God our Father rather than God the Father. Uh, they were in God our Father, and they are in the Lord Jesus Christ because they are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something that's in a unique association that's only found in Christianity. Uh, Buddha, Buddhists are not seen to be in Buddha. Muslims are not seen to be in Muhammad. They are not. But as Christians, we are in God and we are in Christ. As children of God, we have that relationship. We share an eternal life with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what brings us in Christ. That's what brings us in God. That's what gives us that unique relationship. And we see that here. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. We'll definitely dive into this deeper later. Uh, not later today, by the way. But this is 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. It says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this to born-again believers. He knows they're born again. He's recognizing they're born again, and he identifies them as born again. And so this is the greeting that he sends. Now, after sending this greeting, notice the thanksgiving that just overflows from him as we see these next couple of verses here. Verse 3 says this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. So he gives thanks, and he gives thanks to God. We ought always to give thanks to God. Now, this word ought here, is the Greek word that's used here, means a deep obligation. This means that the obligation that he has is something that is, is controlling him, that there's no other explanation that he's obligated to give thanks to God for this. Because as we think about this situation, and as we think about the people of Thessalonica coming to know Christ, Paul looks at this and he says, this is, this is a God thing. This is God's grace. Uh, God's grace and mercy has brought them to salvation. Paul was just there for a short time, and God grabbed their hearts. 
And as he looks at this, and you think about the Apostle Paul, as he's looking at this, he looks and says, this is only a God thing. This is not because Paul is a great missionary. This is not because of who Paul is and, and the way that he does his hair. This is a God thing. And Paul is the first one to do this as he recognizes the people of Thessalonica and what's going on in their lives. He's like, glory to God and God alone. Have you ever had those moments where you see it's just a God thing? I mean, other people may have been involved, but you're just like, that was God. That's just no other way. This is where he is at. Now, as we look at the Apostle Paul, he's certainly a, a humble man. Even though he spends 18 months in Corinth, he doesn't say, look what I've done. We don't see that. But here in this moment, the compulsion, it's so compelling, it's so no other answer. This is of God. And the only thing I can do is just give thanks to God. There's, there's nothing more that I can do. Paul was only able to minister to them for a short time. And because of the persecution, he left. And after he leaves, he's concerned about them. And he receives the report about their well-being. And he felt this deep obligation to give glory to God. It was right for him to give God. And notice what he says there at the end. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right. There's no other explanation. God deserves the glory, and that's right. He does deserve the glory. So why was he so thankful for the church of Thessalonica? What was going on there? I'm glad you asked that question. Look at the next part of this verse. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Their faith was growing abundantly. The word that's used here means to flood the plain. I know, I know irrigation is not something that is big in Michigan, but in where we lived, they would often do flood irrigation. My, we had a pasture behind our house, and, and we had a few horses there, and, and it was a giant abandoned apple. and the water, he would turn the water into the ditch and he would build a dam. And so after a while, the water flows and flows and flows and then you know how dams work, right? Okay, so the water would overflow and it would flood the ditch and then it would run out over all of the pasture and the would help the grass grow. And then after that was good and watered, he'd go pull that dam, move down the ditch and put in another dam and again it would flood. And there would be an abundant amount of water there to water the pasture. That's this idea here, is a flooding. It's a flooding. Because your faith is growing abundantly, there's a large amount of faith, and it's spreading everywhere around. That's what Paul sees. And as a result of that, he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, because of your faith, and it's flooding over. It's flooding things, your faith. It's, it's doing that. And you know, they are in the midst of severe persecution. And their faith is flooding over. True faith grows in the midst of persecution. True faith grows in the midst of persecution. 
false faith dies in the face of persecution. True faith is not destroyed. And you know what's amazing about this? Is this is a biblical principle. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It produces steadfastness. This persecution produces steadfastness. And as a result of that, their faith grows and it's abundant and it overflows and everybody can see it. But the persecution is what brought them about. Now, it's interesting as we look at this, that Paul prayed for the people of Thessalonica. And he recorded this prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. His prayer was answered. Because he doesn't get a report back that their faith is lacking. He gets a report back that their faith is flowing over. It's hit the dam and it's spreading everywhere. It was abundant. His prayer had been answered. His, this report shared that their faith was growing abundantly and it was growing beyond expectations. He's thinking, I've got to get back there and I've got to help you grow. And he gets a report that says, man, we can't contain it. It's, it, it's like a plague. It's, it's spreading everywhere and the persecution intensifies and it's just spreading like, like wildfire. Now notice what he says in verse 3. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Genuine faith in God is accompanied by love for other brothers. And as Paul hears this report, he hears about this overflowing amount of faith and he hears about this love. Now, it's interesting that Paul recognized their love in the first epistle. But notice what else he says. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you've no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. He gets a report, sends that letter out in the spring, gets this report, sends this out in the fall. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He said, man, I hope you guys continue to love each other. Keep going. And then he gets the report and he goes, man. <laughs> I got to unbutton one of these buttons. Because, man, your love is 
there and it's overflowing and it's increasing just like your faith is increasing. Boy, kids, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Because that's what he wanted, to see their love increase. And he hears reports that their love is increasing. Their love is there. Now, listen to the buttons begin to kind of grind and creak and squeak. Verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. The ministry team, <coughs> the ministry team of Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're boasting about what is going on. They are boasting about what's taking place there in the church of Thessalonica. But remember verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. His boasting, their boasting, was not about how great their ministry team is. Their boasting was about what God was doing in their midst. The ministry team of Paul and Silas and Timothy were amazed at what was going on there. It was beyond their expectation. This morning I was thinking about this, and it's ironic that Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. Corinth was a church that was caught up in the world. They were carnal. Paul called them carnal Christians because they were holding on to the world, they were serving the world, and trying to serve Christ. And it was causing problems. Here he is in Corinth, writing this letter to the church of Thessalonica, saying, man, so proud of you guys. I imagine that sending this letter out was a great encouragement to Paul. And as Paul looked at his door at the people of Corinth, he's just like, man, there's hope for you guys. There's hope for you. Because if God can do a good work in Thessalonica, God can do a good work here in Corinth. And I imagine that was the wind in his sails. I imagine that's the wind in his sails. I often think about that sometimes when I think about my Sunday school teachers. I know that there was times that they wanted to pull their hair out, and one of them is bald, so I know that they did pull their hair out. But then I, I went one time back and I was, had the opportunity to preach my grandfather's funeral. And the pastor, my pastor's wife was there. And uh, he had, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but she was there. And she said, man, it is such a blessing to see you and to know what God has done in your life. And she said, Jimmy, that's what she called her husband. His name was James, but she called him Jimmy. She said, Jimmy prayed. Jimmy prayed for you boys. Jimmy did. So I imagine as Paul was looking at Corinth, he's just going, man, what am I going to do? Hey, but you know what? God did a work in Thessalonica. There's an abundant growth of faith in Thessalonica. And just keep praying. Just keep working in Corinth. And he stayed in Corinth for another 18 months, or a total of 18 months. 
seeking for God to work and use him in a great way there. So Paul's great pride, and they remained faithful in spite of the persecution. Now look there at verse 4. He says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and your faith. That's what James said, is to be steadfast in, in the trials and the persecutions that come. And as we are steadfast in those, we'll see that growth. And Paul looks at them and he goes, hey, you guys, you remain steadfast. You were steadfast in your faith. And even though persecution came, even though afflictions came, you remained steadfast and you endured. And as a result of that, you grew because you remain faithful in spite of the persecution. I think it's ironic as we look at this and we think about Paul being in Corinth and going through what he's going through in Corinth. He later wrote a letter to the church of Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I don't know if you realize this or not. This is our theme verse for our ministry this year. That we as a church would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul, as he's looking at the church of Thessalonica, they displayed the fruit of what happens in, in the midst of perseverance. They persevered. They didn't quit and fold. They persevered. And as a result of that steadfast, immovable perseverance, their faith was overflowing the ditch banks. As a result, the area of Macedonia and the area around that became a floodplain for the faith that they had. Their love for one another grew and they had an impact on their communities. Because as the persecution heated up, as trials and tribulations came their way, they persevered and they remained steadfast and immovable. And as we think about that, as we apply this to our lives, as we apply this to where we are, as we face different persecutions, as we face different trials and tribulations and circumstances, if we would follow this model, if we would be steadfast and immovable, and we would persevere, perhaps someone would look to what is happening within us and boast, not about who we are, not about how great we are, but about how great our faith in God is, about how abundant our love for one another is. Maybe we would be moved past that spot of, hey, you know what, they have a really nice parking lot. Hey, you know what, they have really great carpet. Hey, you know what, the color of their pews are amazing, and they have chairs and pews, so there's no church split. Maybe we would move beyond that kind of thought and we would be seen as, as something greater that's having a greater impact. 
But the only way that we can do that is if we remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that the work in the Lord is not in vain. The people of Thessalonica recognized that. The people of Thessalonica bought into that. The people of Thessalonica impacted their community because they were immovable and they were steadfast. So there you have it. The word of greeting and the word of thanksgiving. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our, our Sunday afternoons? I think the first thing that we really got to look at, I think the first thing that we have to think about, how do we do at giving thanks to God for his workings? Do we do that? I think in order for us to do that, I think we have to be on the lookout for that. Don't you? I mean, isn't it amazing how when we are on the lookout for something, how much we see? Tomorrow afternoon, go buy a blue pickup. And you will be amazed at how many blue pickups there are in the world. I remember I went to the car dealer and I found a white pickup. And I bought a white pickup because nobody in our town had a white pickup. And I thought, if I had a white pickup, everybody would know I was coming. So I'm going to get a white pickup. There must have been 15 white pickups purchased overnight. <laughs> Two of them lived in my subdivision. <laughs> Holy cow. Where do they come from? Never even knew. But as soon as I began looking for those white pickups, they're everywhere. When we begin looking for the way that God is working, we will see God at work. When I was in Bible school, we would meet together one, once a month or once every couple of months and we would pray during our chapel time. We just spent it in prayer. And one of our challenges was to pray for specifics. Don't pray for general things. Pray for specifics. And I can remember thinking about that, and I can remember thinking, wait, how crazy is that? Because we can pray, God bless, bless us today. And then we just go through the day and we don't really see God's blessing. But if we pray for something specific, and we see God answer something specific, no, 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 no. And I'm praying for other more specific things. And I'm seeing God work in more specific things. And then I'm realizing that God works in specific things. And then I'm bringing more things to God and seeking God to work. And as a result of that thanksgiving, as a result of being on the lookout for that, those thanksgivings, man, it just changes how I look at things. And we need to be mindful of that praying for specifics, looking for God to work, and giving thanks when God works. I often feel guilty because I 
have prayer lists and I pray over those things and I pray over those things and then God answers it and I'll often say, thanks God for doing that and then I'll bring more. And sometimes that Thanksgiving doesn't get carried over to the third or fourth or fifth page. But I'll have six or seven pages of carryover for something else. Help my hair look better. Help my hair look better. Help my hair look better. Help it to grow. Help it to grow. Help it to grow. But then I don't give thanks. We need to be mindful of that, looking for God to work and give thanks. And then I think another question we need to ask ourselves is, are we seeking to grow in our faith? Are we seeking to grow in our faith? You know, as we live the Christian life, we can see our faith growing and, and doing great things. But sometimes we plateau. And sometimes it's easy for us to just say, well, this is a pretty good level. I mean, and then we just quit. But if we're in a stream and we're in a canoe and we're going up the stream, when we bring all the oars in and we stop rowing, we don't stay stationary. We begin to go backwards downstream. And we have to row more to get to that point where we were and go beyond. And so we need to keep desiring to grow in our faith. Keep growing in our relationship. And I want to encourage you as you continue to do your Bible readings each day, just continue in that. Look for those, this desire to grow. And you'll be amazed at, at how things begin to come together, how you begin to grow. But desire to grow in your faith. And then I think we need to ask the question, are we growing in our love for one another? Are we growing in our love for one another? I think one of the things that COVID has done for us has enabled us not to really do that. Because we were afraid of being around people, we were afraid of doing things for people, we were afraid and kind of withdrew and kind of backed off of things. And so sometimes as a result of that, our, our love can grow, uh, our love can grow cold. And we need to be thinking about that and, and desiring to make sure that our love for one another continues to grow, that our love for one another continues to abound. Because Jesus says, you'll know, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Not if you park beside one another, but if you love one another. And that's when we need to have that mindset, is that love for one another.